I'm not Chris Williams. My name is Gerald Lewis, and I'm the executive pastor here. And um, if you believe that God is sovereign, there is no mistake that you're here today. There's no mistake that I'm up here today. There's no mistake that he's prepared this, this sermon today. For some reason, he decided that he wanted you to hear what he had to say, and he's using me as a vessel for that. Now, this morning when I was doing my personal devotion, I was reading about King Herod, and uh, when he decided that he wanted to take the praise of man, and when they said, words of God, of a God, not of man, and it says, immediately, he was eaten by worms and died. So I, mean, I come to you with that hopefulness today is that this is not my word. <laughs> Woo, man, tell me, tell me about it. Okay. So I just want to thank the praise and worship team for the uh, worship this morning. Woo. You know, you know, God has given them talent. He's given them skill. But they have practiced. You know, this is not something they just do, you know, show up Sunday morning and just throw it out there. But, uh, but also, as a part of that, they prepare their hearts to do that. They get here a little earlier, and they spend time in the Word before they spend time in the rehearsal so that the Lord can speak through them and they can be vessel for Him. So what you hear up here on Sunday morning is a result of the Lord working through their hearts and speaking through them so that we can be prepared for His gospel. Um, the second to last song they did um, was um, An Awesome God, and they did, uh, um, a, did a different version of it than I was first heard. When I became a Christian in the 80s, that song by Rich Mullins was being played on the radio. So as, as I start reading here, I want to kind of share with you some of the original text from that song. And he said, um, there's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. And the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked them out of Eden. It wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close, so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God. When the sky was starless in the void of the night, he spoke into the darkness and created the light. Judgment and wrath he poured out on Sodom. Mercy and grace he gave us on the cross. I hope that you have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the awesomeness of God and why we know that and how we know that and why we need to believe it. You know, so um, as, as we start today, we have to realize that there are worldviews out there that try to pull us away from the word. And we're bombarded every day by man's idea of what God is or, God, or what God isn't and what he's done and what he hasn't done. And as a result of that, we have struggles each day. We struggle with sometimes just that burden of our own lives, the struggle that we have with the enemy taking us back and forth. We struggle with trying to understand how we function in the society that's around us. So today we're going to kind of go back to basic just a little bit, you know, and, and, and look at the beginning of how we, how we got here and all that. But before I do that, I just want to um, just say just to pray for Chris. He and Darina are speaking at her father's church. They're doing a marriage conference there, and he's one of the facilitators. And I think he's carrying the message today also. So pray for him as he does that. And then pray for them as I drive back today to be here tomorrow. So if you hold him up in your prayers. Um, 
With all the struggles we have, I just want to just share with you Matthew 11, 20, 29, where it says, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest in my soul. Sometimes to fully appreciate what that statement is and fully appreciate what God has done for us, we kind of have to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to Genesis. We're going to spend some time in Genesis this morning and look at that word. So if you would, let's pray and then we can go into the word. Oh, Father in heaven, we come to you today in submission to you to learn from you. We thank you for your, for giving us life, giving us an everlasting life through the death on the cross of your son. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sin. We give thanks for a place that we can freely and openly worship together and gather and learn more about you. We ask you, Father, this morning to remove the distractions both internally and externally that would keep us from hearing your word today. May we not only remember what we learn, but also apply it into our lives. And may, Lord, as has been said before, may you have your way with us. Thank you, dear Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we talk about going back to the beginning, I want to share a story with you about uh, Vince Lombardi. In 1961, as he walked onto the practice field for the, for the beginning of that season. And he walked on, and all these guys are sitting there, and he walked on, and he says, Gentlemen, holding a football in his hand, he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. And the reason why he did that is because the previous season, the last game, they lost the game they shouldn't have lost. So as he contemplated that over the, over the, the, the offseason, he thought that, you know what, these guys need to get back to the fundamentals, need to get back to the basics. And that's sometimes what we have to do. Sometimes we have to get back to the fundamentals and basics to understand what we learn, what we know. And sometimes for a lot of us, we have read things that we think we know that might not be actually be correct. We've heard it, and we think, oh, I know that. And I came to learn that once when I was doing a genealogy with my family. And I was going through, and I thought I knew about my dad's history, my mom's history. And after I put this all together, I went back and showed it to my mom, and she asked me about one of my dad's sisters. And I go, you know, they had passed before I was born. And I go, what sister? And he goes, we had two sisters. And I only thought she had one. So I had to adjust that. So I thought I knew my father's history. I thought I knew my history, but I really didn't. So today we're going to go back and to do what's called in the beginning. And look at what happened in the beginning, what happened after that. We're going to go through and look at what the Bible tells us that happened. And look at what the world is trying to say happened. Look at the difference for that. So if you would, let's uh, just open the Bible, and we're going to go right through. We're going to read through the entire chapter of Genesis 1, then we'll break down the verses after that. So let's start off in Genesis 1, verse 1. And it says, Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the day, sorry, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning was the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmaments and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters that were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the, heaven, the firmament heavens, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, let the dry land appear, and it was so. 
and God called the dry land earth, and they gathered together the waters he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herbs that yield seed, and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herbs that yield seed according to its kind, and the trees that yield fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So even the morning was the third day. Then God said, let there be a light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be for light in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. He made the stars also and set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmaments of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound and according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts on the earth, each according to its kind, and so it was. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields fruit, which is in, on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food, also to every beast on the earth, every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw that he had what he had made, and that indeed it was very good. So in the evening and the morning, was the sixth day. That is God's worldview of creation. That is how we came into being. The creation narrative must be factual because if it's not factual, we do not have a foundation for our faith. The atheist assumes that atheism is fact and that religion is merely superstition. However, the problem is they cannot answer all the questions that they themselves propose to be true. Christians, on the other hand, are presented with the moral good established by a transcendent God that only, not only promotes a better life for us personally, but teaches us to love each other and to bring glory to God, the creator. The evolutionary world 
view says that time plus trance equals struggle and death, which means survival of the fittest. For them, things start off with death, then living things show up, they die off. When the sun burns out, we all die. And that's it. That's a, that's a meager resistance. If that's all we have looked forward to, why bother at all? The Bible begins with life of God. That death is a temporary intruder because of sin. But in the end, eternal life wins over all the way through. That is the gospel and that is the truth. So let's go through each day and see how this all came to be. Day one. Now, you know, we only have some time. We can spend a lot of time going through this. I'm not going to spend as much time on verse 1 as I do on all the other verses, but let's start here. As we start off, it says, in the beginning. Now, as we stop there, we realize we have a problem. Okay? What does in the beginning mean? Okay? It's the beginning of what God tells us. Let me ask this question. What is the only thing we know about God? He is. He is. See, the only thing we know about God is what he tells us in this book. There's a lot more about him that we don't know, that we probably won't know until the day when we stand before him in the judgment. So in the beginning, that really describes the beginning of the time that God says that he started creating the earth. He's the one who created time. He gave everything that we can imagine or understand. So the beginning is the beginning of where his creation process starts for us. The next word says, in the beginning, it says, God. Then you have to stop there. Who is God? What is God? Okay. Is he Jesus? Is he the Holy Spirit? Is he God? What is that? But let's look at God as God himself. God is infinite. The nature of God simply means that God exists outside of the limits of our thinking and understanding. Okay? God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. Okay? He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's always present. God is not limited by space or time. He is present every point of time. His infinite presence is significant because it established that God is eternal. Because if he was eternal, we couldn't have eternal life. Before the time began, he was. There was no beginning. And there is no end. He will exist after we die. Because God is infinite, he's also transcendent, which means that he exceeds far above creation, is both greater than creation and independent of creation. But you know what? God has not left us to be ignorant. He has told us and given us a way to understand him. In two ways, he's given us both general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is in the creation and in our conscience. Special revelation is the written word of God and the living word. Therefore, we can know God, we can know how to reconcile with him and how to live with him, despite the fact that we are finite and he is infinite. We can understand him through his word. Then the next word, in the beginning, it says God created. And this is where the conflict comes in with the world. It says he created out of nothing. He spoke it, it happens. At one point in time, there was nothing, and now there is. God created 
There was nothing, he created something from nothing because he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Last one, as far as that part of the verse, he created the heavens and the earth. Okay? He created all that is out of nothing by the spoken word. Hebrews 11.13 says, By faith we understand the words, the worlds were framed by the word of God so the things that were seen were made from things that were invisible. There was nothing before, and now there's something. God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. That was all just verse 1, by the way. <laughs> verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. Let me stop there. The light. So you realize now that here he's creating light, but he's not created yet the source of light. So what is that light? I've got to go back to the word again. And the reason why I go back to the word for all things is when Jesus was being tempted, every answer he made came from the word. Okay? He used the word to answer. So there's power in that. And you know what? I am a, I got a great memory, but it's about that long. You know, and I can figure things out, but it doesn't last. And sometimes I question myself, so I've got to go back to the word. So as I looked at that, I have to go to Revelations 22, verse 5. And there it says, There shall be no light there. They shall need no lamp, no light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. But also I need to go back to Isaiah 60, verse 19. The sun shall no longer be their light by day, nor for brightness the moon shall be, give, give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. So God created light, and through him came that light. Now we're going to read later on the source that's now that he is instrument for that, but he created something before there was a way of revealing it. Now also, as we go through that, it says, Again, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. He divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning was the first day. Now here's another point that both um, secular people and even Christians have a problem with the day. Is it really a day? What type of day is it? Is it 1,000 years? Is it 10,000 years? You know, but I've got to go by just by what I see by the text. My former pastor used to say this. He used to say, never use an obscure verse to translate a black and white verse. Always use the black and white to translate the obscure. So let's take a look at what he says here. Okay? Light in verse 3. Sorry, I'm going to go back to talk about day. The day, um, the word for, Hebrew word for day is yom, Y-O-M. Translated day. Now that could be used for in the Hebrew for day or for an age. But what does the rest of the text say? So let me take you to Exodus 20, verse 11. It says that God commands us to work six days and rest one. And then it says, just as he worked on the six days of creation and rested on the seventh day. Does that verse clarify Genesis? 
what day is he talking about? He's talking about the day that he's giving you the light, the separate light from the darkness. As in part of that verse says, the light is a day, the darkness is a night. It's a day. Furthermore, if you look at that, when you look at the term evening and morning, the Hebrew word for evening is erev, E-R-E-B. And that means the setting of the sun or the sunset. Or it can be used for evening sacrifice or returning at evening. The word bukar for morning means morning or dawn, breaking through of daylight, rising early in the morning. So when the text says the evening and the morning was the first day, he's talking about a literal day because he backs it up with other areas of scripture to say this is what that is. It doesn't mean the end of age. It doesn't mean a thousand years. It's, it's a day. You know, God, you know, God writes clearly for us. And if we stay in his word, we can understand what he says. And later on, I'm going to talk about how we do that, how we renew our minds so that we understand what the scripture says. But let's get back to Genesis. Now on day two, verse six, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmaments and divided the waters which are under the firmaments and the waters which are above the firmaments, and it was so. And God called the firmaments heaven, so the evening and the morning was the third day. Now what are the firmaments? The firmaments is that great expanse that we look at that we call space. Okay? That is a firmament. And what, what part of this I don't understand is that water that was above and below. I can understand the water below, but what's the water that was above? Now, there are many comedies you can read, and um, sometimes you have to be careful of commentaries because those commentaries are man's impression. But some commentaries say that this water was the water that helped protect the earth during that time, that allowed the earth to, to sustain itself in that time, and that that firmament changed and that water came down during the great flood. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but realize that at this time he separated water from the one above the earth and the water below the earth. Now, day three, God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and the dry land appear. And God called the dry land earth and to gather the waters together, he called seas and he thought it was good. Then God brought forth grass, the herbs that yield seed, and the fruit that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself. Now, there are two, three words there I want to talk about. It's its kind and in itself. Because God created each individual species. He created the, the, the kinds. He created roses and he created fruit trees. Fruit trees didn't come from roses. Roses didn't come from fruit trees. Oak trees didn't come from roses. He created each one individually. But look what he did there also. He says in the fruit trees, the seeds which is in itself. Why would he do that? It's a way for the plants to regenerate. There's a seed inside that plant's going to grow. The earth brought forth the grass, the herb that yielded seed according to its kind, and the trees that yield fruit whose seed is in itself. And God saw that what was good and the morning and the evening, evening the morning, were the third day. Do you realize there are about 100 different species of roses currently? There are 600 ex exact species of oak trees. There are 1,000 species of bananas. And there are 
12,000 other species of herbs that are there. These are all things that he created. Now, we're not going to get to talk about the flood, but let me just bounce off of this for a second when it talks about its kind. Um, there's always a, a conflict when we're teaching our kids about the ark. They're trying to figure out how do all these animals fit in the ark. You know? But God you know, said creatures came by twos of its kind. So my question is, how many types of felines did he have on there? Did he have all the felines? I don't think so. And if you look at how many species of dogs there are right now, a lot of those species of dogs came as a result of that. Man is able to breed different species of dogs. So I believe that there were certain canines on there, but not every type of canine on there. Right here I'm going to just kind of do something, just a little, do a little math and geometry. Can, can I do that, just a little bit of math and geometry? Okay. When we talk about species, when we talk about the hand of God and recognizing what is in the universe and God created it, there is a mathematical um, formula called the Fibiachi process. And the Fibiachi process says that if you, you, know, you start with numbers 0 and 1 and, and 1, then you go to number 2, then you go to 3, then you go to 5, then you go to 8 and so forth, which means each number is the sum of the previous two numbers. Okay? You're very on that? And that's infinite. Okay? Now, if you take that formula and create a triangle, take any two of those numbers and create a triangle, you have what's called a golden triangle. Right? Now, if you take a golden triangle and then create triangles based upon the previous numbers, you come up with what's called a golden, um, I said triangle already, a golden formula. And if you add, take a line and draw through that, you end up with a circle. Can you show that a second here? This circle right here. Large block is the first two triangles, then it goes in from you smaller. That shape you see that based upon that sequential number, and we could spend about 20 minutes on that alone, but just the idea, you accept that right there, okay, is a formula that is visible throughout creation, okay? It's visible not only in plants, it's visible in the nautilus shell, it's visible in pine cones and the way the pine cones are, it's visible in different flowers, it's visible in the way the waves of the ocean breaks, a perfect wave of an ocean breaks. It is visible in the formation of a hurricane. And one more place. It is visible in the swirl of galaxies. Okay? Now, if all that happened by chance, <laughs> I'm not sure how you get there, but if the hand of God is on that, all the way to the galaxies, you know, because we are told that we can look out. If you look, observe, you will see the hand, handprint of God on that. That's just a little bit of math. I won't go into that, but if you want to know more, there are great, um, great videos on that, looking at the Fibiot, because that, nu that number sequence also even breaks down to human body. That sequence talks about the dimensions of your body, how that works, and it even talks about, it's even visible in your DNA. For that. Now, and that's great to have all of that, to have that visible, but God asks us to believe. He says, trust in me and believe. And in John 29, sorry, John 20, verse 29, after Thomas asked, told the disciples in the previous verse that, you know, he might have been risen, but until I, until I, I, I see and I put my hand, my hand in his side, I, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus came to him and said, Thomas, because 
you have seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And for us right now, we can come up with evidence. And, then, and you know, uh, Elder, Elder um, Rhyme Chisel, a couple of weeks ago, he shared with us saying that, that if someone's got their mind made up, no amount of data is going to change that. We simply look for information that confirms our views, and we throw things away that don't confirm our views. And sometimes for some of us, we've got to break that in our heads. Okay? Sometimes we have to break that, and we'll talk about how we do that. But let's get back to day four because we've got more to go here. Then God said, let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day and the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. And the lights of the firmament of the heaven to give light to the earth, and so it was. Then God made two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmaments of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. The placement of that is even significant because we have life on earth. And yesterday I was listening to um, an astrophysicist talking about the fact that they're out searching out of the billions of galaxies that are trying to find a galaxy that's like ours so they can try to find a planet that's like ours so they can find life. Well, there's life here they need to look at, but anyway, that's different, you know. <laughs> but let's look at how precise that is. God made our solar system, he did it very precisely. The Earth is about 150 million miles away from the sun. That is exactly the right distance to keep the Earth at the temperature it is, between zero centigrade and 40 centigrade. If there was a 5% difference in either direction, we'd boil or we'd freeze. So we are precise. The Earth orbits the sun in, in a near-perfect circle so that the temperature stays constant. The moon is Earth's own special satellite to reflect the sunlight onto us. It orbits and circles the Earth every 29 and a half days. So old farmers used to count the moons, you know, the new moons, to work out the time to plant their crops. Not by accident. And also, to create not by accident, do you realize that three planets... Um, I don't remember which three they are. Um, Venus, Pluto, and Uranus, they circle the Earth in a different direction. Okay? So if that was all by chance, if it was from the Big Bang where things go in the same direction, why are they going in the other direction? Day five. Then God said that the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and that the birds fly above the Earth and across the face of the firmaments. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and the birds multiplied and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Again, it's after each kind. Now here's a, a question that the, that the evolutionists cannot answer. Here's a question. If you ever run into one, ask this question. Give me one example of where a species changed to another species. That, that, that question cannot be answered because there is zero evidence of that ever happening. God created everything after each kind. 
Each organism was produced after its kind, not after another kind. The various types, there are between nine and 10,000 species of birds. There are over 15,000 species of fish that God created after each kind. And that was on day five. Now, let me just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take one more swing at the, at the religion for a second. Because we hear so much of that on the TV and the radio. You hear millions of years and all of that. But I'm going to read three quotes that came directly from evolutionists. The first one is from a Dr. Colin Patterson. He's addressing the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And he said this, For over 20 years I thought I was working on evolution, but there was not one thing that I knew about it. The last few weeks I've tried to put a simple question to various people. The question is, can you tell me one thing that is true? I tried that question on the geology staff at the Field Museum of Natural History, and the only answer I got was silence. I tried on the members of the Evolutionary Morphology Seminar in Chicago, a very prestigious body of evolutionists, and all I got there was silence for a long time. And eventually one person said to me, yes, I know one thing that is true, that it ought not to be taught in high school. <laughs> Over the past few weeks, you have experienced a shift from evolution as a knowledge to evolution as a faith. Evolution not only conveys no knowledge, but seems somehow to convey anti-knowledge. And that's someone who studies it. The next one from Dr. William Benson, a geneticist. When students of other, of other sciences ask us what is now currently believed about the origin of the species, we have no clear answer. Faith has given way to agnosticism. And meanwhile, though our faith in evolution stands unshaken, we have no acceptable account for the origin of the species. The last one, which I think goes to the key of why we struggle with this. And this is from Sir Arthur Keith. He's a physical anthropologist. And he said this, evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe in it because the alternative, which is special creation, is unthinkable. We are in a battle when it comes to this because there's nothing that backs up the opponent's side, but the view is there. And for us, if we don't believe it, we are the fools. Um, a, a guy who runs the planetarium in New York, Grison, I can't remember his name, how you pronounce his name, he said that he made this statement talking about Christians who believe in creation. He said this, if they, us, want to be in the Stone Age, we will leave them in the Stone Age. Well, I think I'd rather be in the Stone Age and be correct. Okay. We go to day six, land animals and man. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, beasts on the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, and cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, let, have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, 
over every creeping thing that's on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and every little thing that moves. God finally talks to man. Genesis 2 verse 7 gives a little more clarity. And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life and be man became a living thing with a soul that exists forever. Because the reality is that when we pass from this earth, our existence doesn't end. The eternal life is with eternal life whether we live life with the Lord or not. There's a story that Jesus told about the man, rich man, who died. And he died, a very rich man, and there was a beggar named Lazarus who was, used to be at his gate. And when the rich man died and went to Sheol in torment, and I think that's a, a term there to be interesting because as soon as he died, he was in torment. And he reached out and said, please, would you have Lazarus dip his finger in water and quench me? Even in death, he's still making requests. He's forgot, he still doesn't know where he is. But the answer was no. Because there's no crossing over from there to here. There's a great chasm. Okay? When we talk about the fact that God made us, that he sent his son to die for us, as our worship leader shared with us, this is the day of salvation if you don't know the Lord. Because the option is not good. You know, there's no changing your mind afterwards. Right? You know, um, there's a joke that I heard of once that about this guy that um, he died and he went to heaven. He's at the gates and he's talking to Peter. And Peter is say, he said to Peter, you know, I, I, I know I'm coming to heaven, but you know, I've heard some things about the other side. And I kind of want to go there just to see it for myself to make sure that I want to be here, down there. Peter goes, are you sure about that? He goes, yeah, no, I, I kind of, would you, you, can you allow me just to, to go down there and see what it's like that way I know for sure that I'm not missing something. So Peter goes, okay, you can do that. So he puts him on the elevator. It's an elevator in heaven, by the way. You know, on the elevator, he goes down, doors open, and all of his worldly desires are laid out in front of him. He's looking around and going, wow. He sees the devil and goes, is it the way it is down here? And the devil kind of shrugs his shoulders. And he starts taking off, you know, because he wants to enjoy some things. And the devil goes, where, where are you going? He goes, well, man, I, you know, I, they've been telling me some stuff that it's not true. I mean, I, I, there's things I never did on, do on earth because I, I was scared for it. So I want to kind of enjoy these things now. Well, says, well, you can't do that until you're committed here. You know, you've got to fill out the paperwork. You've got to be here, you know. <laughs> so he says, you got to go back there and tell Peter. Make sure Peter knows that, where you're going to be and everything else. He goes, okay. So he gets back in the elevator, goes upstairs, finds St. Peter and goes, hey, Peter, I, I want to be downstairs. And Peter goes, really? He goes, man, you guys, you know, you guys have been kind of pulling the wool over our eyes all these years. You know, it's, it's not what it says. I, I want to be down there. He goes, I can do that, but you realize there's, there's, no, there, there's no turning back. And he goes, yeah, but man, he goes, I, I, I want to go. So he goes, okay. So he does the paperwork, sends him down, gets in the elevator, goes down, doors open, fire and brimstone. His skin is starting to melt. His hair is burning. He, he's looking around. He's kind of bewildered. and looks at the devil and says, hey, wait, wait a minute. 
a few minutes ago I was here and everything I wanted, everything I wanted was right in front of me. What, what, what happened? He says, well, before that was a promise, this is reality. Now, there, there is a, a temptation, right? The world tempts us with things, but the reality of the temptation is totally different. You know, the enemy is really good at that because what, what happens a, a, after this, um, you know, um, after, after we're created and Adam and Eve are there in the garden, enemy comes along. Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every fruit, every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat, nor shall you touch, lest you die. Then she, she missed a point there. But Then the serpent said to her, You will not show your God. For God knows that in that day you will eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. You will know good and bad. He told her something that was not true. And that is the line that we struggle with. Did God really say? And as you live your life every day, and as you struggle through life and and sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're depressed about things, you're confused about things, and you hear the word, but something says, did God really say that? Is, that? is that really what he meant when he said that? Is that really what I should do? And that question is a question that we have to struggle with every single day. Did God really say? And unless we take some time to go back and study the word, we don't, we don't understand that. God says, that we need to renew our minds. Renewal of our minds. Because, see, what happened before is the fall. The fall was a moral fall. It was a spiritual fall. It was an emotional fall. And it was an intellectual fall. The moral fall. Now we don't know what is good or bad. We question what's good or bad by the moral fall. And because, you know what? Babies don't have to be taught what to do. Don't have to be taught to do bad. They teach them to do good. The spiritual fall. Instead of being spiritually in tune with God, our creator, man is now spiritually dead and uninterested in spiritual things. Emotional fall. Instead of being excited at peace with God, man is emotionally estranged from God and many times angry with God. It was intellectual fall. Instead of using the creator's words to test our truth, our tendency is to go by our own opinions. So we really have to get back and renew our minds. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. How do you do that? You stay in the Word. You stay in the Word. Every day, you find Bible studies. You come to church regularly and you listen regularly. That's the way to do that. There are no shortcuts to renewing your mind. But... See, God made our minds in a way that we can do that. See? The way that our minds work is what you do continually and persistently. Your mind will allow you to do it even more so. Those synapses, those connections will be made and strengthened as you do something. If you take up an instrument and you practice it every single day, 
half an hour for a day, you will get good at it. If you want to be an expert at something, right, they say, study that, that, that item for 10,000 hours and you'll be an expert at it. Right? So my question is, have you spent 10,000 hours studying the word? Well, probably not. But let me close here because as we go through that, I want to share with you just some promises that God has given us. And I'm going to, you know, there are over, some people say 3,000 promises in, in the Bible. In the New Testament, there are probably about 250 unique promises, which means they're unique, they're not repeated. And I'm going to go through these as we close. In Matthew, he says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Luke chapter 1, the Lord will give his son the throne of David and will reign over the house of Jacob. In John chapter 1, whoever receives Christ becomes a child of God, is given eternal life, and is no longer under condemnation, but has crossed over from death to life. In Acts, God has given us the power of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit and enabled us to be witnesses for the good news of forgiveness and of life. In Romans, as believers in Christ, we are justified Declared by righteousness, by his grace through the redemption that was made possible through his blood. In Corinthians, our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us, whom we have received from God. We are not our own, but we are bought with a price. Second Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old one is gone, the new one has come. And I just missed the page here. There it is. I'm losing my place at the very end, not the beginning. <laughs> well, I've lost my life. Okay. So I'm going to jump down to, oh, here we go. I apologize. Okay, Galatians. We who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female we're all one in Christ. If, we're going, if we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Ephesians, we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works which God prepared for us in advance. Philippians, when we all offer everything to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving and present our request to him, our anxieties are replaced by the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Colossians, we have been reconciled to God through Christ's death so that we can be presented as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. First Thessalonians, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Second Thessalonians, God's purpose for us is that we glorify the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy, we are not to, be put, on, not to put our hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put our hope in God. Second Timothy, the Lord rescue us from every evil attack, and will bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. Philemon, just as we receive God's love and grace and forgiveness, he now empowers us to offer the same to others. Hebrews, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. James, mercy triumphs over judgment. First Peter, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belong to God that we may declare the praise of him who calls us out of the darkness. God is, 2 Peter, 
God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and godliness. First John, God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. He who has a son has life, who does not have a son does not have life. Second John, the truth of the gospel of Jesus who lives in us and will be with us forever. Third John, faithfulness and truth of the gospel of Jesus is a great source of joy to all. Jude, the Lord is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. Revelations. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat with my father. Again in Revelations. Christ was slain in his blood. He purchased men for God, for every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. In Revelations again, he takes us all the way back to the beginning. He says in verse 21, 6 and 7, For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He overcomes, inherits this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. From the beginning, in the beginning God created and he himself is there. The question is, do you believe in the sovereignty of an awesome God? Is there anything in your life, is there anything in your life that God cannot fix? Now, there are always consequences of things that we do, right? But is there anything that he can't fix? Trust in him. Trust in him. Let us pray. Father, we pray that we will accept your word, that your word is a lamp unto our feet that your word is a light unto our path. We pray, Father, that our light will shine before men, that they will see our good works, but you will be glorified through that. As we go today, Father, may we always remember your word and may we spend time to renew our minds to be more like you. We pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, who died for us and who sits by your hand, right hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.